Hey, my friend, welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My name is Lori Seitz. I'm an entrepreneur, mentor, founder of Zen Rabbit, and your instigator in saying fuck being fine. This show is for those of you who are done living with the dumpster fire and are ready to find the tools and courage to transform, to step into more success and fulfillment in both your personal and business life. You're in the right place for stories of self-discovery, gratitude, and connection. And to help you strengthen that connection to your own inner guidance, you'll find each episode has an accompanying meditation. Now let's get into it. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Fine is a Four-Letter Word. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Leland Holgate Sr. He's a breathwork and meditation coach who has helped countless veterans and civilians transform their lives using the power of the breath. And trust me, this guy knows his stuff. His own journey to becoming a breathwork coach is truly remarkable and inspiring. Leland was once a quadriplegic, but after some time and dedication, he was able to not only regain his mobility, but also transform his life in ways he never thought possible. His story is a testament to the power of the human spirit and the incredible healing potential of the body. In this episode, Leland shares his personal journey and explains how breathwork and meditation can help you overcome physical and mental obstacles increase your vitality, and tap into your inner warrior. So whether you're struggling with chronic pain, stress, or simply looking to improve your overall well-being, this episode is for you. As usual, today's episode is sponsored by Zen Rabbit, but instead of inviting you to get a copy of the short guide to working less and living better, also known as the five easy ways to start living a sabbatical life, I've got something else. You've heard my guests and me talking this season about sabbaticals, and I've shared a bit about the one I took last August. One of the opportunities that came to me when I wasn't working was this amazing business partnership. That has developed to the point where my partners and I are actively acquiring personal development businesses or assets this year. So my question for you this week is, Do you know anyone with a personal development business who is looking to get out? Alternatively, if you know someone who is still all in and interested in making extra money through some JV opportunities promoting other people's offers, I'd love an intro to them too. Hit me up if you have someone in mind. Text is 571-317-1463 or lori at zenrabbit.com. Now, let's dive in and learn from someone I'm proud to call a friend, Leland Holgate Sr. Hello and welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My guest today is Leland Holgate Sr. I'm so honored to have Leland on the show today. In fact, um, I've actually been waking up with Leland for like the past week. Now, Hold on, before everybody goes there, get your minds out of the freaking gutter. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's. <laughs> but you'll hear more about why 
I've been waking up with Leland. <laughs> yeah, that, Welcome to the thank show. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, they could have went both ways. So to, you know, define the lines. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <sighs> I always start out by asking my guests what the values and beliefs that they were raised with that were, you know, what were the values and beliefs you were raised with that contributed to you becoming who you became as a young adult, especially? Yeah. Um, wow, that's an epic question, especially when you go back and look at my childhood. But there are some really great values that I pulled out uh, from both of my parents. And one of the biggest ones was family, which was like that sense of community. So it was always community. And there was a sense of loyalty that was always ingrained with that. So it's, you know, not loyalty to the sense of blind loyalty, but loyalty to the sense of taking care of those that are around you, no matter whether you know them well or not. Okay. And then how did that play out as you grew up and, and joined, because you joined Air yeah. Force? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's pretty much shown through everything in my life. Um, even when I look at when I was in the military, it's even though, you know, we're combat troops, we were there to serve. So that was always, we were either serving the American public or we were protecting somebody else from a dictator or tyrannical leader. So it showed up in my life constantly and even post-military, especially now with what I do, uh, just in constant service, which I love. It's absolutely amazing. Cool. We're going to get more into that. <laughs> but I'm curious. So Air Force, because your dad was Army? yeah. yeah. How, how did you choose Air Force? Uh, it was pretty much made for me. He told me since he was special forces, he was like, you join the Army or the Marines and I'll fucking kick your ass. So I was like, okay, well, that takes those two off the table. So I guess I got Air Force or Navy or Coast Guard. So there's three, but um, yeah, so that was, I, I chose Air Force. Uh, and funny enough, to his chagrin, I made it through some of the special testing and they sent me to SEER training and POW training. And then of course I was itching to get into the pararescue training. So he just, he thought I was a moron after I joined the Air Force. He's like, dude, you dodged the bullet <laughs> and then you jump in front of the gun. <laughs> and you were kind of like, but that's what I've been watching you do, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. Right. Like parents are always, or not even just parents, bosses, leaders, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, yeah exactly. When we know Except it's the other way. never really works out. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, all right. So you're just about to go into your, your what did you, it's para. Oh, pararescue. Yeah. So that's the. Pararescue. Yeah. yeah. Special forces <laughs> okay. side of the Air Force. Right. Okay. And then what happened? So, because you, you didn't get there. No, no, I didn't get there. Obviously, I was. A, this is the part where things were fine, but not fine. Almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it was, you know, I was a shoe in because I had already been through my uh, half of the combat training, the SEER, which is survival, evasion, resistance, and escape, POW, which is prisoner of war training. I've been through some weapons training and all kinds of all kinds of amazing stuff. So that would have been like the icing on the cake to actually make it in there. And unfortunately, before I could even be considered for the program, I suffered the neck injury that left me a quadriplegic when we came back from Yugoslavia. 
So, yeah, they don't want you after so, that. Yeah. Uh, right. Because <laughs> <laughs> wheelchairs don't, you can't jump out of airplanes with wheelchairs really <laughs> no. attached, right? Yeah, no, we don't train dumpster fires here. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, so I know your story, but but the people listening don't know your story. What happened yeah. um, in this accident? So we, we got back from, from Yugoslavia. It was Operation Anvil. I'm sure a lot of people remember the Milosevic and Kosovo conflict. So we were over there helping free the people of Albania and now Kosovo. And um, we came back. And we go for R&R, rest and relaxation. And of course, we're adrenaline junkies. We're action junkies. You can't go do what we do and then expect a brisk walk to get your haunches up. So (laughs) so we go out to the lake and we decide to get like the fastest craft that we can. And we hook up an inner tube to it. And we're just doing stupid shit all day long, having a blast, jumping off of 100-foot cliffs, like you name it. and then it was my turn. So I goaded my buddy who was driving to kick it up. I told him to stop being a pussy. Way to go. Because he kicked it up. And then as soon as he cut left, I just went flying. There was no holding on to that thing. You know, it's like the inner tube just ripped right out from underneath me. And then I went flipping over the water like a folding chair. And people said I just skipped oh my like gosh. a stone. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. So um, inevitably, that knocked me out like the moment I impacted the water. When you impact water at high speeds, it's like cement. So right. all I remembered was lights out. And uh, apparently, thankfully, the life vest kept me floating, but it was one of those cheapy life vests, so it kept me floating face down. It's epic because, mm. of course, <laughs> wow. you know, I'm just bobbing like a tea bag in, in the lake. <laughs> and, of course, uh, I drowned and... I uh, was dead for a little over three minutes, and they had to pull me onto the shore, revive me there, and then I wake up in the ambulance with this horse collar around my neck, and I just had like this transcendent experience too, right? You know, one of those near-death experiences where it's peaceful, and it's calm, and there's no thoughts, no needs, no wants, no anything, and then all of a sudden I wake up to horse collar, and there's like extreme pain on the back of my, my skull, and this dude's asking me if I could feel that. And I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? And he's like, I've been stabbing you with a needle for near a couple of minutes all over your body. You're not feeling any of that. And that's when freak out mode set in. I was like, holy shit, you've been doing what? No, I don't feel anything. Um, so yeah, sheer terror set in. And um, come to find out, I had a contusion on my upper spinal column about the size of a silver dollar right at C1 and C2 that just shut everything down. So yeah, stuck me in the hospital after that one. Um, and as far as the doctors were concerned, you can't heal nerve tissue. Uh, you're, you know, manage your expectations of your life, all the stuff that doctors, physicians are trained to do. I don't blame them. It's what they're, it's what they're trained to do, but still it's maddening to hear that type of shit, especially at 19. You're like, what? Hold on a minute. You're trying to tell me this is it? Yeah. Like, this is, the, this is where the boat ends? Like, no, absolutely not. Which took me a couple of days after some self-loathing and woe is me type of shit. <clears throat> but um, the moment that he tried to manage expectations again on that second day, it was just an emphatic fuck no. And the moment I even expressed that, like my 
nerve endings right here in my brachial plexus just lit up and my neck gave this, this little chill, this flicker of energy. And that was, that was kind of my signal, like, hold on a minute. You, I know what you just said, but apparently you don't know what the fuck you're talking about because there's some shit going on here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I have two questions. I want to come back to that moment in a second. Yeah. The near-death experience, because I know if I don't ask this question, my friend Tracy's going to be like, why didn't you ask this question? <laughs> what was that like, those three minutes? Man, the most peaceful experience I've ever had in my life. It's like being gone for a long time and then coming home and that overwhelming, ah, you just plop down on the couch, throw your fucking bags and lay down on your bed or whatever else, and you're like, ah, oh, I'm home. That's exactly what it felt like. It was just the most peaceful experience I've ever had. And it, it, I mean, it obviously was over three minutes, but felt like an infinity. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Anything, any, like, because I've heard a lot about other near-death experiences. Like, did you see other people or spirits or any, it just, it was just a feeling of comfort. It was so, I was, I could see, but I could see everybody around my body. I was actually looking over the guy as he's reviving me. So I didn't see anything in the spirit sense, but uh -huh. I was an observer of what was happening and there was no sound. There was, again, no thoughts in my head. It was just like, ah, that's interesting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So now we're back in the hospital. You've been there, what, two days? <laughs> and you were, because you, you've, I've heard this a little bit of this story before. You were asking your buddies to end your life because yeah. you were because you figured it was already over anyway. Yep, yep. There's a big bucket and of then, that self-loathing. <laughs> sure, but it was such a short period of time. Like the doctor, so two or three days, and all of a sudden you're like, "Fuck no, I'm I'm back in it." Like, how did that? switch get flipped? It was the shift in belief because of course at that age and my knowledge level, I had no idea. So as far as I was concerned, this fucking guy in the white jacket that just walked in knows what the hell he's talking about. I'm screwed. Mm -hmm. Shit. So as far as I knew at that point in time, and I get chills talking about it, it's, it's amazing now. But uh, yeah, it was, there was no belief level for me. Like, holy shit, he just said my life is over. Uh, okay, my life is over. So from that point forward, of course, it was just the end of the train tracks. There's nowhere else to go. I had no, no other hope to hold on to. And, but then when he came back a couple of days later and you said, fuck you, I'm not listening to you. Hmm. How, where did, like, how did that switch get flipped? Like you went from not having any belief to, yeah. I don't, I have all belief in myself and none in you. So yeah. keep moving. Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny because I, it, thankfully enough and oddly enough, I can attach it to my military training because the POW training, that SEER training was always fight for more, never give up, mm. don't be a prisoner. So that just kept on ringing in my head. It's just another example of the beautiful brainwashing they put us through in the military and how that sets that program in there. Because I don't know what it was. I have no idea what it was. I had nothing showing me otherwise. Everything, in fact, to the counter that there's no coming back from this. I just had an expert come in and tell me I'm fucked. 
And then something shifted in me where I thought about it. And I was like, hold on a minute. Are you going to sit here and whine and cry and just give up? Like, you know, you're not trained to do like you have not been doing for the entirety of your life right now. You're going to be a prisoner in your own mind and a prisoner in your own body. Is that what you're telling me right now? And that was, it was kind of like saying no to myself, but extending it Mm. to the doctor as well. Like, fuck, no, absolutely not. I, I hear you. (laughs) and I respectfully decline. (laughs) Right. I do not receive that. (laughs) You know, you're like taught when somebody gives you a compliment, I receive that. I do not receive that. (laughs) Absolutely. You can keep that shit yourself. Right. Because you had said that when you said that to him and you were so emphatic about it, that's when you had that tingling sensation. I was wondering how you got to even that point of saying yeah, that. So that, that makes sense. Instant shift in belief. And then, boop, look what happened. Yeah. Okay. And then you had some help. Obviously, yeah. you didn't just say that to him and then get up and walk out of the bed. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> right. I wish it was that easy. <laughs> what? Uh, so how long did it take you? And what are the tools that you used? Uh, overall. Because, because wait, wait, yeah. as we're talking, because people don't know, yeah. and if they're not uh, seeing you, they don't know you, uh, you made a complete recovery. Yeah. You know, to, to, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So overall, when I look back at it, it was, it was roughly about two years for full recovery. However, in the first two and a half weeks, I got most of the feeling back throughout my body. So I, of course, had to work more on the legs. The legs are always last to come back whenever you're dealing with a spinal injury, especially one up in the cervical area because it's furthest away. So, of course, signal Mm -hmm. degradation, all that stuff. So um, two and a half months, and I had pretty much everything back, just couldn't feel my feet all the way and had some, some issues with neuropathy or whatnot. But thankfully, I was lucky enough for the military to stick me with a physical therapist that was a yogi. So he was the physical therapist, but he was also the guy that was, let me teach you some shit that I'm sure the military doesn't even know I'm telling my patients about right now. Right. So that's unusual, right? Like not all the PT people in the military are teaching their patients yoga. No. And now, now there may be some that are using it because of the shift, but back in 99, are you kidding me? It was, here's ibuprofen. Go talk to the doctor. I hope you get better. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So clearly some universal forces at work here Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I lucked out on that one. All right. So he taught you yoga as part of the, your, your physical therapy. Yes. And for one, I was like, how the fuck am I going to do yoga, dude? I can't feel anything under my Adam's apple. What kind of stupid shit is that to say to a quadriplegic? <laughs> and immediately, that's what he calm, calm your tits. Let me explain things to you. Holy Lord. <laughs> Jesus. Yoga is not the thing that you see 20-year-old girls doing wearing Lululemon standing on a really cool fucking fancy mat. 95% of yoga is all mental. So... He kind of, he showed me and instilled in me, it's yoga is a way of mindset and a way of being. And when you look at yoga and you look at life, what is it run by? 95% is all run by breath. Everything we do is controlled by the breath. So that's when he tuned me into the fact that yoga is all about pranayama or breath control. 
So he started teaching me these really cool ancient breath techniques that are built into, you know, five to 7,000 year old yoga and Qigong and all these ancient techniques that have been around for thousands of years. And every time I did one of those breath techniques, there was something, I get chills every time I talk about it. There was something, it could, it could be just a millimeter or two of feeling coming back, but I could feel it. I could feel something new. Uh, I could feel, even when I couldn't really feel, I could feel the pressure in my legs or my butt when there were no nerve endings active, but I could feel the pressure, which meaned, you know, it means everything was slowly starting to come back. So I was hooked. I dug in like a tick after he showed me that on the first, the first session, besides the fact it was like the highest I'd ever been in my life. <laughs> <laughs> on just breath. I was like, holy shit, I don't have to hit this button anymore. All right. Mm. How long did you spend? So they give you physical therapy exercises yeah. to do, yeah. uh, you know, so how many hours a day were you doing breath work or? All fucking day. Not unbeknownst to him, I was hooked. I was like all in. Anytime somebody wasn't in there and I had to respond or there wasn't anything I had to pay attention to, I was in my bed doing one or two breath rounds or, you know, working on the yoga or, you know, stretching where I could or at least doing the mindset work and and getting into some of the meditations after the breath work and all that good stuff. So yeah, I was, I was a crackhead. Did he plug you into other stuff like books? Um, I mean, th that was 99. So there weren't like a podcast, a lot of podcasts right. or if any, but like, like what were you listening to audio books? Were you listening to um, other kinds of material on personal development? I was reading a lot because, of course, like you said, 99, we didn't have all these amazing things right there on the phone and ready to go. Uh, so I was a big reader, and he gave me all kinds of books, Osho, uh, Pantanjali, all kinds of different descriptions of yoga, philosophy, mindset-wise. Um, and I had been reading on philosophy and, and, you know, some other things. But now this was a whole nother side of this is yoga philosophy and philosophy. So it was, it was a different switch for me. And again, I dug in like a tick. He'd give me like two or three books to read. I'd finish those two and go find three or four more that were exactly like it or similar mm -hmm. and just continued reading, continued to gain that knowledge into that world. Okay. So that was over two years. Mm -hmm. Then you finally regained full, full um, use of your all of your, yeah, arms and I was going to say arms and limbs, but <laughs> arms and legs, extremities, <laughs> extremities. That's the word. Thank you. <laughs> all right, uh, but there's more to your story. Yeah, yeah. That was so. What happened? You, you obviously couldn't go back in to. Air Force, what did, what did you choose to do instead? Yeah, and you know, it's like when I look back, there was one slim chance for me to stick around, but it would have been like, here, go hand out boots and, and weapons and shit. Like, ah, oh, what? It's some bullshit. Like, I was out there doing things. Right. Now I'm going to give them toys? Like, here you go. No, absolutely not. So I, I went for the, the retirement, and they 100% retired me. Um, so, of course... That was that was kind of nice, but um, at that point in time, it wasn't fully a mental component for me. It was all physical. Everything I was reading, I was mm. soaking in the information, but I wasn't hearing the information. I was using it 
in the physical sense because I was so dug in to get my body back to the way that I wanted it to be. So post that, oh God, a whole bunch of the messy middle. Um, of course, in that time, the VA was still very much about uh, psycho, you know, psychodrugs, all the nasty pharmaceuticals that they get out, uh, antidepressants, antipsychotics, benzos, all of that. So instead of actually treating the issue, they were just helping me numb, which turned into mm -hmm. seeking for more. And of course, when you can't get more of the pills, you just go to the street drugs. So it's right. spiraled into this, this horrible deal with alcoholism and drug addiction. I mean, you name it, I was doing it, whatever I could do, num, 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 num. Um, so that was, that was a good portion of, of a decade post-military. Um, and right around 2016 is, is when I had my awakening and I started getting my shit together. Uh, and on top of that, my father had also committed suicide. And that was right around the time of my birthday and his birthday. So it hit me, it, it, it hit me in a, a whole nother way that you can get hit in the gut. Um, and thankfully, thankfully, it was a catalyst. There was a bit of the woe is me and self-loathing and, and sadness, of course, I expected. Sure. But um, it lit a fire under my ass is what it did. It, straight lit a fire right under me. Like, dude, your dad just offed himself and you've been climbing this mountain for the past like 15 fucking years. Do you think maybe you could share this information with people like him and your other brothers and sisters that were losing like over 22 a day to suicide? Maybe you could get out right. there and do something with it. You said, so that happened, coincided when you were about getting into that point anyway. Yeah, yeah. So that was just like the final like straw to push you to do it. Yeah, it was like the universal to, to nudge. clean up your act. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, dude, you've been wasting your fucking gifts. What the hell? Um, so yeah, yeah, that was the wake up because I was already working on cleaning myself up, but that was like, all right, it's time to super speed this and really kick it into turbo and not only, you know, take the focus off of myself, not in a way of ignoring myself, but put my focus onto serving once again. Get back into service because when you're serving others, all the shit that's happening in your life, even if it's not what you want to be happening, really just kind of rolls off your back. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's such a great, um, a great way to help yourself to, like you said, take your, the focus off of yourself. Yeah. If you are stuck in a place where you're like, well, I don't know what my purpose is or my day-to-day -day isn't, isn't how I would envision it. You know, that whole woe is me thing. Can't find gratitude anywhere. Yeah. Go volunteer yeah. and help somebody else. Yeah. And it's instant, like it's getting into action solves a lot of that wallowing in mind, like overthinking. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, uh, I've been involved with, you know, some trauma programs and some other programs that help underprivileged folks. And a lot of the parents for some of the kids that were, you know, at risk and, and really having a rough time, they would take them to the soup kitchens and allow them to serve the homeless. And you'd watch their attitudes change drastically by the end of the day, because now they're not bitching and right. moaning about their life. 
they just took care of people that have absolutely nothing or have whatever they have on the table with them. Yeah, when we're talking about gratitude and sometimes people are like, well, I have nothing to be grateful for. I just, you know, everything in my life sucks right now. It's like, okay, step back. There's always, you can always find something to be grateful for. And I'm willing to bet that if we did this exercise with the people who were being served at the soup kitchen, who were the clients of the soup kitchen, they could find something to be grateful for as well. Oh, yeah. Like, you can always find what you're looking for. So, yeah. So in that time between, what was that, like 2001 and and, nine, and 2016? Yeah, it was, somewhere it was about 15 years like of that. a dumpster fire. Yeah. Yeah. Were you were you still doing the breath work, or once you once you got all your physicality back, you were like, yeah, don't need that anymore. I was doing it, but not consistent, right? Yeah, because that that mental component hadn't landed yet about consistency and making this a practice, which is what yoga is. So I would do it, but it was anytime I was experiencing pain, or anytime I wanted to get high, or anytime you know it was I was doing it, but it wasn't consistent like I had found in the 2010s. Yeah, yeah. I, that's like, like I was introduced to meditation when I was 10 years old. My mom took my brother and me to a meditation course. And so I learned how to do it, but then I didn't use it consistently for the next like 30 something years. Right. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's pretty until, typical. Until there's a, right. <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, people are all the time like, well, I, I wish I had been doing this the past 20 years or whatever, but you find it when you, when you're ready. Exactly right. Yeah. When the time is right. You know, you've heard that quote, when the, the student is ready, the teacher appears. Yeah. When the time is right, you will find the modality or you will come back to something you already knew. And that's how it works. So we don't need to beat ourselves up for things that happened in the past that you can't change. Yeah. No, exactly. It's it's funny too, because Osho and, and a lot of the books that I read uh, or read always highlighted the fact that You can think you're practicing yoga until you are in the most desperate position of your life, essentially. Then yoga begins. So yeah, it's that, you know, usually you don't, even if you've already learned it long ago, we don't usually put it into practice or enact that gift until we meet that holy fucking shit type of challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's interesting because I came back to it around the same time that I was closing my first business, which coincided with my mom passing away. So, right, you're now in this super challenging time, and that's when you come back to it. Yeah. 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 Um, How how do you – so you you said you wanted to help other veterans. Hmm. How did you decide that breath work was the way that you were going to help them? Or was it yoga or was it not? Like, what was it? Exactly that you started. Yeah, helping. it's it's it started with yoga because I was at that point at the beginning, right? I, I it was the beginning of my journey as an instructor, as a guide, as a teacher. I was now a, a five hundred hour yoga instructor. Uh, I'm a teacher trainer now, so I can actually train yoga instructors. Um, but I wasn't sure how it would be accepted by my brothers and sisters. So mm-hmm. I chose yoga to hit on first because yoga has breath in there. And there's, there's some really great trauma-informed yoga that I teach and can train people in as well. So I was, doing, I was using that. And they were responding really, really well. Uh, little did I know 
that at that point in time, I t- when you're using meditation, the thing to understand most people don't get is it, meditation's advanced. That's like, that's fucking advanced shit. I don't care what anybody tells you. That is an advanced form of yoga to be able to sit the fuck still, shut your mind up, and just be in that, that space. And the entry vector is breath. So once I figured that out, there was that, there was that big switch. Like yoga's still there, and, and we can use yoga. But I also just, I thought back to my experience and the fact that even though I couldn't do the stretching side of yoga, the breath is what mm-hmm. got me there more than anything. So that's the big switch that came is, is shifting it to the breath, which funny enough, I should have thought of back in, in the day when I started you know, the nonprofit and we started doing um, yoga. It's easier to get somebody to sit down and breathe for 30 seconds to a minute than it is to go, okay, sit still for the next 60 minutes and listen to me jabber on and tell you to put yourself in pretzel funny ways and all this yeah. other stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> so you just brought up the nonprofit, which is willfulwarrior.org. When did you start that? Um, so that is our our. Uh, the Warriors for Life America was the first side of the nonprofit, oh, okay. and then this is a, this is now our for-profit side. But that was started okay. uh, on my, on my birthday here last year, June first. Wait, the nonprofit was started a year ago. No, that was started the year uh, that well, not the year, just a couple years after Dad passed. So I started okay. the nonprofit, and then the Willful Warrior is the for-profit side of that. So they both work and coincide together. Um, but the the willful warrior is the breath side, while you know the other one, warriors for life, is the the yoga trauma informed oh, uh, cool. service okay. side. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Okay. It's kind of our it's kind of our way to like scholarship veterans into yeah. big programs that aren't even ours or programs that we have all that good stuff. Got it. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, how did? I have two, I have a bunch of questions I'm looking at over here. (laughs) All right. You have kids, yes? Yeah, three. Do do they do breath work? Uh, My son does. My daughter's uh, less than him, but it's, you know, it's, I think it's that thing. (laughs) It's like me. They're just like, yeah, dad does it, whatever. It's that weird thing dad does. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, but there's st- are they still young? How old's your son? Yeah, yeah. So uh, twenty eight, twenty seven, and twenty two. So they're all in their all in their twenties. And while they experience okay, well, it's the not breath that work, young. No, no, yeah, but you know, I guess young compared to me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. How did you? develop your method? Because the way you teach breath work is different than the way I've experienced it previously. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, So what I did was hinging off of the ancient breath techniques, all of the hundreds of ways that you can breathe that they've been doing for thousands of years. I Something clicked in me and I was like, how did I do that? I know that I did it, but how did I do that? So about a decade ago, I started digging into psychology and neuroscience, epigenetics, um, and that mixture 
gave me the answer to the equation that I wanted. It's just, it blew my mind to realize that these cultures thousands of years ago knew that the body was based off a program, which it is. 95% of everything we do is based off of unconscious memory. And also that the breath rhythm in the body is innate, but it can also be shifted. And the moment that it's shifted, it creates these neuromodulations or these bursts of frequencies that travel all up and down every nervous system inside of your body. And it was, it was like this big aha moment for me. And I've done all the breath work stuff that's out there that you know people can think of, Wim Hof and, and Tumo breath and Soma breathing and all of the ancient breath work techniques that have inspired some of the breath work facilitators today. And then I realized there were some components that were missing from that that I could add in to strengthen that experience. Uh, neurolinguistic programming, you know, once you're in that uh, alpha or theta state, you're super programmable. That's how people get mm-hmm. hypnotized on stage is the guy gets you right. into a theta state and then boom, you're clucking like a chicken. So <laughs> in that same way, there's specific verbiage and in the way that you can record things neurolinguistically and switching that program for yourself. So that was included in there as well as um, everything that, that you have ever done, like Wim Hof or any of these other Tumo breaths or whatever, is all basically cyclic hyperventilation. So once I figured out the core root of what that type of breath was, I could realize, okay, if I do this many breaths for this long, hold it for this long, and then exhale, and then sit in a resting point, there's trackable results that you can watch and you can see this shift happen inside of the body live time. It's absolutely mind-numbing to watch. And that was that was the light bulb that that I needed to see was there's there's a mixture of all of these different modalities that are put in to the way of the warrior, which is the method that that we created. And it's it's I mean, it blew my socks off even because I had been doing breath work before. But once I had done this myself like a few years yeah. ago, I was like, wow, okay, that just supercharged everything. <laughs> yeah. So this is what so I like I said, I've I haven't really I haven't hadn't dove dived into <laughs> breath work a lot of it because it it first of all seemed a little bit weird and the hyperventilation part that you're talking about I'm like yeah I don't like that feeling it doesn't feel good <laughs> so I'm not doing that and then when you and I were introduced in uh several months ago maybe like 8 months ago and you took a group of us through this practice I still didn't like it because it felt uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's like you're you're doing this breathe. Like, yeah, you're basically making yourself hyperventilate. It doesn't feel I I wasn't getting the super high that some of the other people in the group were getting. Like they were getting mm-hmm. really emotional reactions and stuff. And I'm just like, this just feels weird and uncomfortable, and I don't like it. For some reason, though, I did it again, and I did it again, and then now I really like it because because of the the break part that you put in there, like that sitting, it's not just breathe, 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 breathe for like an hour or even right. five or 10 minutes at a time. There's the, there are those breaks where you sit and what you're kind of like riding the wave. 
that's the part yeah. I like. So I will go through the breathing part to get to that part. <laughs> but I think, I think that is, again, I don't have a whole lot of experience with a lot of what other people are doing, but I think that is part of what makes yours different is that, and you have this, I don't know, it's like this uncanny ability. Like you're like, even when you're not in the room, you're like, relax your shoulders. I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah, you're telling me exactly the right moment. I'm like, yep, that's what I'm doing. I need to relax my shoulders. Okay. Like you're right there with it. Um, yeah. So you mentioned in the, in the recordings that, that some of the ones that I've listened to about the chill. And I didn't hear that until I uh, recently, like last week when I was listening. So this is where it comes back to waking up with Leland. He's got, he's got this breathwork um, programs that I've been listening to in the mornings before I get into my day. So that's what I was talking about. But you say something about that chill. And the first couple of times when we were doing it as a group, I don't remember you saying anything about that, but I felt it. And I was like, that's weird. Maybe like, I didn't realize that was a normal part of it. So what is that about? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's an epic question. That is actually one of the biggest keys to the practice and the way that I've created it is that is the feeling of alkalinity, the alkalinization of your entire system. And even though, funny enough, I'm drinking alkaline water, I don't care what marketing stunt they use. You cannot get alkaline by drinking alkaline water. I'm sorry. It, it helps, of course, with your intake, but it doesn't create alkalinity. Alkalinity is actually created by the level of oxygen and the level of carbon dioxide inside of your body. So when we're moving through that cyclic hyperventilation, we're bottoming out your oxygen. Yeah, we're pulling in air, but your body's not having time to process it because we're pressing it out immediately. So we're more expelling a lot of carbon dioxide and we're expelling a lot of gaseous waste and a lot of things that our, our body produces. And of course, our lungs are one of the biggest thoroughfares for executing elimination. So when you're moving through and you're doing the hyperventilation part, your CO2 and your oxygen are bottoming out. Your nitrogen is rising up. In that moment, when you hit the rest point, the reason that chill happens is because your CO2 stays down and then your oxygen starts to elevate. And the moment that happens, you move to what's called basic pH, um, which is less acidic. It's, it's more on you know the higher pH over seven, mm -hmm. basically. So that's that chill you're feeling is that pH level in your body rising, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, you're also feeling it because in that exact moment, that nitrogen raising opens up your arteries and your veins. So it's like, boof, all of a sudden vasodilation happens and your blood's flowing and oxygen is being handed out and there's no CO2, which we need. I don't deimmunize CO2 and I can tell you why, but it helps increase the intake of oxygen which of course helps us with the increase inside of our hydrogen as well, which is what pH means, power of hydrogen. Right. So this, it, yeah, I mean, I have some background in physiology just because I've studied it myself on it stuff. And the, I've heard about creating that alkaline state in your body. It's healthier for your cells. So a lot yeah. of times when people are in a, a 
dis-ease, a state of dis-ease, it's important to alkalinize, is that correct? Mm-hmm. <laughs> alkalinize yeah. your body to help those cells heal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's it's- essentially what you were doing in your physical therapy. Exactly. And I had no idea then, but now I understood that that was, that was a process I was creating. And the cool part is, is besides the pH side of it, you're also, when you're moving through this, you're creating genetic expression. You're activating very special genes that create healthy proteins. Are you, it's, you're <clears throat> actually rewiring your brain, aren't you? Yes, you are. You're absolutely shifting neuropathways. So it's, yeah. it's a complete vibrational, physical, and chemical shift inside of the body. Yeah, because I talk about this a lot too in terms of when you want to make changes in your outer world, the only way you can change anything happening in your outer world is to change your inner world. But we have right. these deeply, deeply ingrained beliefs. Mm-hmm. The one that I... I'm on the bandwagon about now is that whole idea that you have to work hard to succeed, which is a total Ugh. load of bullshit that we've been fed since we were born, especially in Americans. Yeah. That that the key to success is 24-7 hustle. And you have to, even if you're not working 24-7, like work as hard as you can, play later, take time off later, recharge later, rejuvenate yourself later after the work is done, but the work is never done. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't know who created that, but I want to punch them in the face. Yes. (laughs) The the challenge is, though, that we can talk about it right now and say, that's wrong. We were taught a a lie. Yeah. But you can't just go and change your belief and go, all right, well, now I believe something different because those neural pathways in your brain are wired that way. And so this is just another way, another tool for rewiring your brain. That's the only way you're going to change the beliefs. And once you change the beliefs, you change your actions, and then your actions result in different outcomes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's that simple. We're done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, mic drop. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're you're so spot on with that because it's when you look at that, what you just highlighted is called neuroplasticity, the ability to adapt and change and learn no matter whether it's from trauma or learning something new or experiencing something. And two of the biggest ways that happens is chemically, which we're shifting, and then also structurally, which to your point is that habitual buildup and creating of new pathways. Right. So how often does somebody need to do the breath work to start seeing results? So I would recommend, I, I at least recommend at a minimum in the morning. If you can do it in the morning and before you go to bed, awesome. Now you have ended your day the best way. You have started your day the best way. So you end your day on a good program, which of course, as we know, how you go to sleep is how you wake up. So you end on a really good note and then you wake up on a really good note because you you know, wake up from that program that you created. So at least morning and night. Okay. So you can do it at night. Actually, I wasn't sure that. I I knew about the waking up and then doing it potentially like in the middle of your day when you need to recharge, but you can also do it at night before you go to sleep. Okay. Yeah. So that would be a great thing to add to your morning routine and your evening routine. And how long do you need to do it for? Because this is the thing I I get when I'm talking to people a lot about meditation is like, well, I don't have time for that. Right. 
Yes. Yeah, that is one of the biggest, well, it's a lie we tell ourselves, but you, you know, you can't force somebody to get past that. Like you highlighted, they have to be the one to change that. So, um, it, eight minutes, eight minutes, acute intermittent hypoxia. And, and what, what we're seeing in the research studies that have been done now is even something as low as eight minutes worth of intermittent hypoxia through that psych, you know, cyclic hyperventilation process makes absolutely tremendous changes, activates genetic expression, all kinds of amazing shifts in the body and in the mind happen. So, yeah. What do you say to people who are like, they're interested now, they're intrigued, mm. yeah, but they're still kind of skeptical? Like, yeah, really? Dude, dude was quadriplegic and now he's perfectly <laughs> no, quote unquote normal. I know you. Normal is not the right word, but you know, he's back to He's back to fully functioning, let's say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. You know, and so you hear these stories of people, but but they are still, a lot of them are labeled as like miracles. Yeah, yeah. They call it spontaneous healing in the doctor community. So um, for those folks, I usually, like, I can be at a party and I'm talking about this, or I'm at an event and I'm talking about this. And somebody's like, no way, you can't make changes in that little a time. And I sit them down and I put them through something called 60 seconds of freedom, which is literally less than a minute worth of an experience. It's one breath round. And in that one breath round, they usually come back and they go, holy shit. <laughs> so that that's like the way that I broach that subject with them. And then, of course, mm -hmm. if they want to dive further, I can show them videos from uh, quadriplegics that I work with who are no longer quadriplegics because they're walking with walkers or uh, paraplegics who are now kicking their legs when they couldn't move anything prior to doing the breath work yeah. and meditation. So, yeah. Very cool. All right. So we're, we're nearing, nearing the end. We've gone like way over time. I know <laughs> Like people are like, this interview is going on forever, but it's really fascinating. Uh, before we go, what is your hype song? The song you listen to when you need an extra boost of energy. Like the breath work is, is it's gotten you 90% of the way there. And now you just need that extra 10% boost. Uh-huh. I love it. Yeah. So uh, born for this by the score. That song goes fucking hard. <laughs> it does. It does. Cause you I actually you shared it with me before our um before our conversation today and I had not heard it before and I went and listened to it and I'm like, oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> now you see why it's like not just for me. I play that. That's the song before I come out on stage for a live event or the song I play right. before I do a broadcast. It's like so your mind is already ingrained in that warrior mentality. That's exactly <laughs> the purpose of a hype song. Yeah. Get you hyped up. <laughs> How can people reach you if they want to continue a conversation? Yeah, uh, so they can reach out, thewillfulwarrior at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find the website at thewillfulwarrior.org. And on any of those ways, uh, if they reach out through email or any of the socials, I got all the social platforms, of course. Um, so yeah, anybody that wants to reach out and experience like the way of the warrior, we have mood shifters, which are the short guys that we were talking about, eight to 11 minutes. Uh, we've got a weekend warrior. So there's a whole three-part series with deeper dives, the shorter ones, all that good stuff. So if people want to know about that, I can definitely hook them up with that info. 
Okay, cool. And I will put links in the show notes as well to to your info and to that song so everybody can hear it. Love it. Thanks so much for joining me today on Fine is a Four-Letter Word, Leland. Hey, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Every time I talk with Leland, I have new questions. I am absolutely fascinated by the effects of breathwork. So it's an honor to have had this conversation with him so you can hear about this incredible tool for healing too. Here are the key takeaways. Number one, breathwork can help alkalize your body, activate genetic expression, and rewire your brain. Through cyclic hyperventilation and intermittent hypoxia, you can experience a complete vibrational, physical, and chemical shift in your body. Number two, to see results from breathwork, you need to be consistent. Leland recommends doing it at least eight minutes in the morning and again at night. It's important to create a program that works for you and to stick with it. Number three, society has conditioned us to believe that we have to work hard to succeed, but this is a total lie. Changing our beliefs and actions starts with rewiring our brains through tools like breathwork and meditation. Number four, when you're in service to others, everything that's happening in life, even if it's not what you'd like, rolls off your back. Being in action stops the overthinking. Number five, living authentically brings a sense of peace and purpose. Even though the journey may be difficult and painful, it's important to embrace your gifts and live true to yourself. Thanks for being here and subscribing to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. Please share this show with a friend or a colleague. If you're feeling especially generous, leave a review so other people like you can discover the show too. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and all the major podcast directories. You can join me on social too. On Instagram, it's zen underscore rabbit. You can find links to the other platforms at zenrabbit.com. Before you go, remember to take a moment to think about what you're grateful for today. Lastly, you can find this week's meditation queued up right after this episode. And if no one's told you this week, I'm proud of you. Take good care.